Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Welcome to a brand new episode of Casual Chats. I'm Patricia, and I'm here with two amazing special guests who just so happen to be British. Uh, we have uh, my friend and co-host of the Aaron Meta Show. We have Aaron Meta. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. How are you getting on? And, uh, and of course, we have somebody who hasn't been on our podcast in a while. Every time that we discuss about everything Sonic the Hedgehog, he's there. Uh, you may know him for his stuff on the Guardian comic book and in Sonica. We have Tom. Welcome back, Tom. Hey, guys. So, yeah. Um, so today we're going to be discussing about the uh, Sega Mega Drive or Sega Genesis for the all you Americans. Uh, this year will be the 30th anniversary of the Sega Mega Drive or Genesis when it first debuted in Japan in October. But I'm going to be saving my uh, slot for October because it's Halloween and I want to do something special there. So why not? Let's do it a little bit early. So, um, right before we discuss about this, the Sega Mega Drive Genesis, whatever, um, I'd like to know your earliest memories of it. So, Aaron, what about you? Well, my earliest memory of it was, uh, I mean, uh, we were a Nintendo household. You know, let, let's just, I'll just get out of the way. So, I'm not going to pretend... 
that I like. I'm, I'm some massive Sega buff because uh, I mean, uh, in, in in our household, uh, we had a Game Boy Color and we had a Super Nintendo, and that's basically how we started out. And uh, then um, we came across the Sega Mega Drive when um, my uh, cousins uh, went from. Uh, down south and went over to the United States, and they couldn't obviously take the uh, the, the Sega Mega Drive with them because um, they basically just wouldn't. They just didn't think it would work in uh, in the United States uh, for obvious reasons because um, they they down here in, in the UK we use PAL technology for uh, for TVs and over in um, in America it's NTSC. So we ended up with the Mega Drive, and uh, we ended up with a collection of games. Um, one of them was uh, I don't know if anyone remembers the Mega the Mega Game Six, where it came with like uh, Super Hang On, uh, Streets of Rage. Um, it came with various other games. Uh, World Cup Battalion '90, which I did a let's play of. Uh, with my Preston North End scarf on. And uh, also, um, we got Marco's Magic Soccer Ball, which was like a very obscure kind of game. And um, yeah, it came with a nice collection of games. So that was my earliest thing. So um, the Sega Mega Drive, I think, was more adored, I think, by my sisters more than it was adored by myself. And I think the only game I kind of played on it really was uh, either Sonic the Hedgehog 3 at the time. But then uh, my, my friends came over to my house and they saw the Mega Drive, and they thought it was, like, really cool to look at. So, um, and I said at the time before, this was before I had the uh, any more controllers for my Super Nintendo at the time, so I only had the one. So, because we had two controllers for the Sega Mega Drive, obviously that would be the thing that we would uh, then start playing. So, Streets of Rage was definitely one of the games we played a lot. So, Golden Axe was definitely one that uh, got a lot of time. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much our memories, really, of um, of the Sega Mega Drive. All right. Uh, how about you, Tom? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, what are your about? What about your memories of the Sega Mega Drive? My memories of the Sega Mega Drive. Uh, this is going to be sound a bit weird, but I remember my dad at the time managed to get a second-hand Mega Drive. Um, it didn't came in the box. I remember the day it turned up at the house. It literally turned up in like a black bin bag sort of thing. Open up. And went, well, this is for you. You can have it. And basically, it was the Sega Mega Drive. And I don't know how he managed to do it, but he also managed to get a, a Sega Master System as well on top of it. And it was that one that had the built-in Alex the Kid one on it. But I played the Sega Mega Drive more, from what I remember from, from my memory. Um, the first game I ever got to play on it was um, Sonic the Hedgehog, the first one. That's uh, probably the reason why I've loved Sonic so much of a... It was the first video game I've ever introduced properly was Sonic the Hedgehog, and it came with some other variant as well. It came with, um, back in the day, with the Mega Drive, they used to do this um, free pack collection sort of thing, so you had, like, free games onto one cartridge. Um, one of them was the one I had, had Golden Axe, the first Street to Rage, and I, I think it was, like, the Revenge of Shinobi, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was the other game on my... Uh, yeah. Next. So I remember having that and I played it a lot. Another game I had, I played a lot on it, which I loved was Lemons. But I remember back in the day, I remember this really old commercial that they always played on TV globally. And um, the way it was, it was like two TV set up with two consoles um, linked up to it. One of them was the Super uh, was the Super Nintendo and the other one was the sega mega drive and basically they played both games back to back next to each other and, sh and see which one was more appealing and the sonic one looked more appealing because it was a lot more quicker faster pace and stuff like that and i think why the mega drive did so well here in the uk i think it was marketed a lot better within europe than it was the 
Nintendo um, system because the Nintendo system was extremely overpriced here in the UK from what I remember and it was very hard to get the games for it but I remember for the Nintendo if you want to buy a game for it they originally sold it in, in a pharmaceutical shop boots back in the day and um, Mega Drive games actually was a lot more payable because they actually had a better marketing scheme with them and trying to sell them out and stuff like that and yeah that was my memory of the Mega Drive back in the day so many hours wasted and forcing my brother to be tails in the game <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call them hours wasted you know I think uh, we definitely had a, a massive amount of enjoyment out of them I oh think. good yeah definitely yeah I'll tell you the, the one thing I would say about the uh, the marketing is, uh, yeah, they, they made that Sega, it's the Sega Mega Drive look so awesome in those, um, and you also remember the infamous, you know, Sega does what Nintendo don't yeah. uh, commercials that used to come out. If only we knew, like, if only if we were, like, you know, the massive nerds, I think, at the time, I think, because, um, you know, those adverts, I think, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Tom. They had, Sega had far more slick. Uh, advertising campaign they had far more to offer to people because uh, what uh, I mean y- it was like, uh, do you remember when um, the WWF at the time had uh, Mike Tyson like yes. uh, back, uh, backing their uh, attitude era and you know celebrities backing your products were you know were massively the rage uh, definitely at that time and so what bigger celebrity could you have backing your console than the king of pop himself Michael Jackson well, it's that that is very, very true. And I think Sega had a bigger presence here because when you look at the history of Sega advertising stuff in the UK, I remember they were the sponsors for the Arsenal Football Club for a little while and also as well the biggest one I can think of off the top of my head is the Trocadero up in central London, which was this giant six-floor arcade indoor theme park that was was essentially run by Sega and co-run by Pepsi back in the day. And it had Sonic merchandising, Mega Drive merchandise everywhere. And this opened up back in like the mid-90s, if I'm not mistaken. So near towards the end of the Mega Drive era. But you've got to realise that Mega Drive must have been that popular to get a six-floor arcade indoor theme park in the UK back in the day. And the same in Australia as well with um, Sega World um, Sydney. Yeah, uh, how amazing is that? Like, uh, Sega went from like you know sponsoring you know teams like Arsenal, like uh, on their team, and uh, you know the, I think the last sponsorship deal I think they probably had was uh, the Football Manager deal they had with AFC Wimbledon. Yes, uh, they did. They, they're yeah. still make they're still making those games, or not, not mistaken, the Football Manager games. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know, like for, for me, uh, I mean, we're going away from Mega Drive, but so you know, just quickly on that, I would say, you know, Football Manager 2011 was probably my favourite out of a lot of them, really. The, the new ones that really appealed to me. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, in regards to, I mean, go back to what I was saying about the Mega Drive, and if only we knew how, uh, if we were, like, geeky enough and, like, nerdy enough to kind of, like, understand what was under the hood. Because when you look at the uh, the, the Sega Mega Drive technology-wise, it had a it had a more, far more superior processor than the Super Nintendo. But, as a cost-cutting measure, they basically didn't uh, apply any more you know technology to any of the other bits you know such as like you know the the sound card the music card you know the yeah. uh, the, the, the cartridges were also limited in uh, what they could do and uh, on top of that as well i think um sega didn't invest in uh, in a lockout chip i don't think so you could play parody games in there. yeah that's that was the really good advantage over nintendo was that they didn't really have a lockout feature like you said you can easily get the cartridges put them in and then 
away you go. They they work quite universally. And um, I think the other thing with the Mega Drive as well, that it had on the Nintendo, and they were very, very clever how they advertised this, was um, they said blast processing back in the day. And that was the term, the the cool term of saying, our console runs faster than the Nintendo did. Yeah. <laughs> process process power-wise, from what I remember. Yeah, but I think, uh, I mean, I'm really surprised that, um, I mean, if you remember what happened with the whole, you know, Mike, obviously they had Michael Jackson uh, yeah. backing this thing. They had, they had the Moonwalker game, and uh, they had that, but then they uh, they ran into, I thought would have been quite a bit of a PR disaster for them, because if you remember, he uh, was uh, making the music for the next Sonic the Hedgehog game, which was Sonic the yeah. Hedgehog 3, and um, he wrote a load of good music for it, apparently, and uh, it's still uh, locked up to this day. If we'll, if we'll ever see the light of day of it again, I don't know, it's still tucked up in the Michael Jackson estate, from what I'm aware, yeah. but uh, I mean, he did all this, and then when he heard it for the first time, uh, coming out of the Sega Mega Drive, he was appalled by it, and he basically turned around and said i do not want my name associated with this game and uh, so it's been uh, the, you know there was a big mystery over uh son of hedgehog 3 until his death and then they finally announced that yeah he was the guy who uh, wrote the music for it so uh, yeah i mean because apparently because he was going through the court case at the time for him being charged as a sex offender at the time as well and i think that's one of the reasons why the game got pulled because um, I've researched a lot into this whole Michael Jackson thing with Sonic 3 and um, they pulled the music, um, well, didn't pull his name from the music because they didn't want representation of what's going on in the media here at the time. Apparently, a lot of big people that he was sponsored with dropped him, like I think Nike dropped him and I think um, Disney also dropped him as well because he was um, advertising some theme park ride back in the day. In the 90s? Yeah, he was, and uh, on top of that as well. I think, was it around about the time when the Moonwalker film actually came out? I can't remember if it was or not. Uh, uh, I think the Moonwalker film came out, like, during the before. 80s. Yeah, like, during his allegations, uh, it would have been, like, in the early 90s. Oh, okay, then. Uh, well, anyway, again, so Michael Jackson's always had a big relationship with Sega. Again, you just have to go back and track down for the history of Michael Jackson through Sega. Um, the one the other ones can remember this going away from the Mega Drive, but um, Space Channel Five, he made a cameo appearance in the second Channel Space Channel Five game when he actually they actually made a 3D version of himself in the game, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. So they got the rights to use his likeness. I mean, Michael Jackson aside, I mean, they they had deals with everybody. I mean, uh, the the FIFA games were also on uh, on Sega Mega Drive as well, and uh, they actually had the, uh, the the licenses, I think, to use like the you know the real names of the players. I think I don't think uh, international. Uh, I think international soccer on Super Nintendo had that. I don't think. Yeah. So. I, I, the annoying thing is, I'm trying to remember which games that he, they said that he had some hand in. But I think the only one that comes to the mind is the Carnival Night Zone theme and Ice Cap Zone sound very very similar to Michael Jackson music. The one that really does sound like a Michael Jackson song is the end credit sequence in Sonic the Hedgehog 3. At the very very end credit got a lot of his signature ooh, ooh, like, like you go, you know, remember you just go woo sort of thing. You got a lot of signature yeah. woos in it and stuff like that and a lot of sort of thing. It, it sounds very much like a Michael Jackson song, the end credits. I think I think you do like the mini bosses as well. I think yes. they, they definitely. If they if they're not um, you know Michael if they didn't have Michael Jackson's hands on them, I don't know what did. Yeah. Uh, 
it's one of these weird uh, weird things that Sega back in the day when the Mega Drive was out they were on top of the world um, but I think along the way they let some stupid stuff happen to, to them like um, trying to extend the lifespan of the Mega Drive which was a huge huge problem I think they also as well um, I mean if you remember um, obviously I think, are you referring to the Sega CD yeah that's, that, that was the first misstep I would say yeah. Yeah. well in mind I mean uh, I think they came up with a Sega CD because uh, Nintendo I think at the same time was also in uh, talks with uh, both Philips and both uh, Pat, uh, and then Sony about uh, producing a CD based add-on so I think it was probably I mean I could be wrong but I mean if, if, they, if they probably looked at Nintendo and thought oh okay then this is probably going to be the next big ticket yeah that's one of the reasons why Nintendo took so long to go CD based because their dealing shit with Sony and Philips was so bad that's the reason why the N64 stayed on cartridges because they were afraid of the CD based format because they had such bad dealings with Sony and also with Philips and Sega took that plunge Give them credit. Um, they did try, and it kind of worked, but really didn't. Because the price tag was ridiculous. The portable system—it it wasn't that well. Mark, I think it was marketed well, but it wasn't explained that well. Well, and the games that were produced for it were diabolical. The only two good games I can think of for the Sega CD back in the day was Sonic CD and um, Snatcher, which was created by the creator of Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kojima. Yeah. Yeah, Kojima. Yeah, that's it. And I think the worst game of all time, I think, on that car, on that console, I think, is probably Sewer Shark. I think. Oh, God. that that came free with it when you bought the Sega CD as well. So when you bought it, that was the first game, your first impression of the Sega CD, and I think that probably was a bad mishap on there, uh, on there. <laughs> Imagine begging, bugging your parents for it for ages, and then finally bringing it home, putting in Sewer Shark, and then just sitting there like, "What the fuck have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> and then like the bit rate was terrible, and I, I think it was ahead of its time. And I think the Master System didn't have the processing power or the graphics at the time to really take full advantage of that system. I think it, it was the big it, downfall. It the chipset, because you, you could. I mean, obviously, it's another generation. But when the PlayStation came out, so it took full advantage of the CD technology. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it had. Um, it, it basically had the. Um, the, the it's only got it right. You know, where so where Sega got it badly wrong. I yeah. think with with CD technology. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, um, as everybody remembers about the Sega Saturn, like that console was not supposed to have 3D graphics. I mean, at the best, it can do like 2.5D, but it's just it wasn't powerful to compete against uh, Sony's PlayStation. No. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I was quite surprised. At, I mean, I don't know if it could they could potentially do that, but you remember uh, the Super Nintendo had uh, in their cons in their cartridges they had the FX chip. And yeah. so that was uh, bringing games like Star Fox in. And uh, I don't know if uh, Sega Mega Drive, you know, Sega tried to do that with their Mega Drive, where they tried to put in like you know extra chip sets into their actual cartridges. Obviously, the more expensive, but obviously, uh, I don't know. Did they ever try that? They tried that with the 32X, if I wasn't, wasn't mistaken. There was a few games that tried this 3D look-like sort of thing with the XF thing. That's the reason why I think they made the 32X was because of that thing. Because when you go and play something like Knuckle Chaotix, it has this like 2.5D effect sort of thing when you go through the special stages, you go and it all had like these 3D polygons and stuff like that. I think that's how they tried to do it because they realised that their Mega Drive cartridges 
didn't have those chips in it and it was too late trying to make it compatible with it or why they had to release a whole new console so they built this mushroom shaped console that you shoved into the mega drive and it sold horribly and it was extremely overpriced and i think it came out like two years just before the saturn did and you're just like why should i buy this Uh, as well imagine owning every peripheral for the sega mega drive and so the sega cd uh you know lumped onto underneath the thing uh on on its port underneath and then you've got um in its tray and then you've got the 32x on top of this thing and like uh, you know it's not even aesthetically presentable yeah and the thing is and the thing is what a lot of people don't realise that the Sega CD and the 32X also had their own power unit as well so that free uh-huh. power unit that you had to plug in as well there's a great video the Angle Video Game Nerd did back in the day when um, he actually showed off these accessory to the Mega Drive and how bad it was trying to put the setup on and it summed it up so perfectly if anyone wants to see how the setup was so bad you would just think to yourself who was the designer for this and he thought this was acceptable for, for retail use yeah. Well, thankfully, I only own the, uh, the the Mega Drive. I still own the uh, the one I originally got to this day. But uh, even the, the 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 power the the power cable for that, you have this massive box that you have to plug oh, into it. Yeah. I've I've got one of those um, twelve stack uh, power power extenders uh, on there. And uh, the one thing I have to be careful with, I have to plug it at the very bottom of the stack because if I plug it at the top, the whole thing just falls over. Yeah, because so that's heavy. Just- that was the same problem with them. They would use the exact same plug sockets for the um, Sega CD and for the 32X. So imagine trying to have three of those in one power strip. I'd have to get another power strip just to yeah. plug them exclusively. It'd be ridiculous. Yeah, that's what I mean. For a design standpoint, that was so badly done. And the annoying thing is that the Mega Drive back in the day was a very appealing console. It, it was like the edgy console. It was the cool console. It had a lot of pop culture here in the UK. I'm not so sure. It, it was really big. I know within, outside of, I want to say America, the Sega CD and the, the Mega Drive was huge everywhere. I'm not so sure about America. I think the Nintendo did slightly better. There. Well, there was a huge competition back then. Yeah. Uh, around in America, it was a huge competition. You see, you had the younger kids and um, the slightly older teens would be gearing towards Nintendo because, you know, for a lot of people, they grew up with Nintendo. And, you know, they had, um, I mean, for a lot of people, the NES was their very first console and they want to jump into the 16-bit and play off all the continuations of the games that they knew from the 8-bits, like your Marios, your Zeldas, your Mega Mans, your Metroids, etc. And then maybe for the older kids, they're thinking, man, screw those games. This is the 90s. We're going all edgy, and we're going to be all, you know, to the extreme, son. So they thought that the Sega Genesis was more for the hardcore audience because it had more sports games and racing games and all these games that, you know, were... um, um, you know, basically leading more towards violence. Like, we can talk about the whole Mortal Kombat fiasco. Oh, God, yeah. Sega got a got in a lot of problem because of that. Um, it actually was quite a few of their games that actually got... Um, I did a documentary back quite a few years ago now. It was talking about what was... It was called What's the Problem with Video Game? It was looking at the controversy in video games. And in it, we had to talk about the foundation, the SRB rating system, and a couple of the games that were showed off were actually Sega exclusive games, and the version they used was Normal Combat, like you just mentioned, Night Trap, 
and uh, a few other games that we use for examples for, for that. Oh, God, the, uh, Night Trap is the reason why we got the fucking rating system. Yeah, it was one of the games, yeah, and Normal Combat was as well. Uh, and funny enough, the Night Trap was a Sega CD exclusive game. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's just, the, the, the CD just the CD just sucks. Like it, 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 even with Night Trap, it basically uh, you know got everyone angry over nothing. Um, Is it terrible that I own a copy of Night Trap on and the PlayStation Four? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, amazing, Tom. <laughs> if you go on my Twitter, I think I uploaded a picture of it. I think Patricia, you saw it as well. Yes, I did see that, and I was like, "Good for you, Tom. That's amazing." How many people can yeah. say that they have Night Trap for the PlayStation Four? I'm not gonna lie, it looks really good and sounds really good. Nice. <laughs> it's one of those games that actually looks better and plays better on modern hardware than that it did on back in the day on really old hardware. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of ironic because everybody was complaining about like everybody's complaining about like remasters and about how they ruined the games. So yeah, I guess this is one of the very few exceptions in which is actually an improvement. Yeah. I'm just looking right now at uh, some of the because uh, you know Sega obviously made some of the you know the classic uh, Se- you know, Sega Masters sorry Sega uh, Genesis games you know like um, um, you, you know I like the Hedgehog and uh, you know Duel Master and uh, you know some of the uh, some, some of the some of the greats you know Virtual Fighter Two obviously another one uh, which was on the 32X and uh, but so, you know, you look at one thing that I noticed. When I'm looking through the entirety of games, uh, what do you, you know? What's the one thing that makes a console successful, in your opinion? I think that the one thing that I think is really successful for a game console is the variety of games. Like Thanks, what? Like- what would be a big standout compared to what the competition has? I mean, if it's multi-platform, then I can accept it, but. The exclusive games is what really makes it stick out for me. If a game really intrigues me, then yeah, I'm going to go uh, dedicate a good chunk of my money and, uh, you know, go get it. Or in my case, when I first got my Sega Genesis, it was actually a hand-me-down for my older cousin because she used it to buy a PlayStation. So... Yeah. Let me let me read out some of the third party developers that were you know uh, helping out the the Sega Mega Drive. I mean, hey, obviously got... the first one you're going to say is EA because they were responsible for all the sports games. Oh, absolutely. But you know you have companies yeah. uh, you have companies like Capcom, Codemasters, Bullfrog Productions. Uh, you have uh, Namco also developing games for it. You had uh, Infograms, who were pretty big. Konami, who are like you know the the, the gaming giants. And uh, you know, yeah, even have Microprose as well, which I some people are a bit, you know, a bit hit and miss with Microprose, but uh, I, I like Microprose. So yeah. uh, I, I like Transport Tycoon. So uh, that, that's the reason I like them. And uh, yeah, they just uh, they they had a huge support from third party developers, and uh, that to me um, just kind of like you know, in, in, you know, set in stone uh, the Sega, you know, Sega Genesis, and why we're talking about it today. Yeah, that is true. I mean, some of the things, even with today, Nintendo's main problems is that they don't utilize their third-party developers to its full max. Yeah, that was a huge problem with the Nintendo um, today, I would say. And um, I think with Sega, towards the end of their console lifespan and stuff like that, I think they kind of lost a lot of support from their first third-party developers. I think this is the thing that a lot of modern companies you need to realize now you need to be on good terms with your third party developments if you're not you're not going to get that many games at the front door absolutely and uh, do you remember um remember when id software uh, decided to port doom onto consoles oh uh, god yeah, yeah. That was... they weren't very happy with the idea that uh, you know doom was toned down 
to uh, yeah. the way it was. I can't re- I can't remember what it was, but I think it was Guru Larry actually did a video about the whole Doom thing, how much of a fiasco was a nightmare porting over the console because apparently the coding was so bad in made in, made in those games, the programmers had a nightmare porting over. That's the reason why some versions of the game didn't have the soundtrack in them because they just couldn't get them coded properly into them for, for the release dates. Yeah, which is why the, um, what was it, like the Atari Jaguar version has like no music. Yeah. I mean, it's like um, I mean, I'm just going through some of Sega's um, um, main staple games that were on the Mega Drive back in the day, and um, Sega always like uh, doing these like Mega Collection packs that you can buy and every yeah, single console, yeah, exactly. so you have have all these different versions of the game. I think some of the standout ones, apart from Sonic, they actually gave a lot of notoriety. I remember back in the day there was an article in nintendo in like the official nintendo magazine here in the uk and um, they had a questionnaire in it saying which character would you like to see return from the sega old franchise stuff and the one that came number one was knights but there's one that came second which i think which was a household staple back in the day for mega drive was streets of rage oh yeah i think that's huge that was a huge game back in the day I remember. <laughs> they were planning a revival of Streets of Rage many years ago, and then they got shelled, which I was very sad. To yeah. And then there was that fan-made game that was supposed to be being made, and then suddenly Sega pulled the plug on it for some reason. I don't know why. The oh, well, I, I guess they didn't want it to, you know, they thought that, oh, you know, you're, you're dealing with our property. You you can't do that. Uh, trust me, Nintendo has done this before. That, that That's how we, um, yeah. you know, that's how they got rid of another Metroid 2 remake and Pokemon uh, the uh, the remake of Pokemon that was coming out around the same time in which they got they pulled the plug on that and then there was like um, a remastered like Super Mario 64 or in uh, Ocarina of Time same thing what happened is, what does this one mean? Sega are normally quite chilled with people doing fan made versions of the game again again, look at all the different versions of Sonic ROM hacks and out there and fan made games and stuff like that they're normally quite good I don't know why they were so uptight about Street of Rage. I don't know. They think I think there's something to do with the licensing for Street of Rage. I think that's probably the reason why it got pulled. Um, another game series I thought, um, they've got, they're more of a cult classic now, but I think back in the day, everyone recognized who they were. Um, Toe Jam and L. Yeah, Toe Jam and L is a, it's, it, it is a very confusing and frustrating game if you have no idea what to do. But I think that what many people seem to remember it fondly of is that, you know, that cool 90s charm to it. You, you have oh, basically yeah. like Toe Jam and Earl and they're just crashing this planet and they have to go around looking around for stuff so they can put their ship back together. But I think it's the, the presentation and the appeal of being able to play two players at a time in which that was a novel concept was what kept, kept Tojem and Earl still relevant and then the other sequels of it came out and nobody liked those and then I think there was like a uh, Kickstarter a couple of years ago trying to bring the series back yeah I think I remember that Kickstarter the, the creators of the website the creator of the game still own the, the original licensing of Tojem and Earl so very unheard of back then as well that an original creator kept their original license for a video game character but yeah like you said they Grew, that they were quite popular back in the day. Um, another one which I think were very um, was very essential for the Mega Drive lifespan was the Golden Axe games as well. Yes, I would say they were very popular, and um, 
the one I remember I had most fondest for was the first one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the first one, the first one was a classic. Yeah. You know, well, going through it, you know, even to this day, when I still go through it, I still feel that you know that uh, that tension, even though I know what's going to be coming up. And uh, I think it's because you know the final boss at the very end when you go when you find I hate uh, that final boss. <laughs> I, hate I, that I, I always needed to have a friend play it with me to uh, do that final boss because I, I get up to Death Adder and uh, be like, oh yeah, that's 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 all right. But then you find out that he's been taking orders and it's Death Bringer that you need to kill, and then it's like, oh great. So, yeah, it uh, becomes uh, quite fair. Uh, yeah, and I I also love those series of games as well. Uh, and uh, another thing that I really do appreciate it of uh, the the fantasy um, setting with Golden Axe uh, is that you know you get to ride on those like dinosaur like creatures and you get to go into a village that's shaped like a turtle and you get to fight off skeleton bad guys like Jason and the Argonauts and. Um, <laughs> And uh, and I also I I also love the music. The music is one of my favorite things about Golden Axe. Yeah. Um, it's also, just how awesome, how awesome would it being a barbarian riding dragon into a village and just shooting skeletons. How <laughs> 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 oh, just just that mental image is just amazing. Yeah. Like, how, oh, how crazy is it that uh, you know in part of the game you're riding on the back of a turtle. Yeah. It's oh, so well, crazy, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then on the back of the bird as well at one point. Oh, okay. I remember, yeah, it was just insane, that game, man. Yeah, um, it's just a shame that Sega pretty much screwed it up when they brought it into the 360. Ooh, yeah, I heard about that. Well, I mean, we, we played, uh, I mean, me and my friend played this 360 version, and uh, I guess, I mean, it was a bit, it was a bit clunky, but it, it still felt at least uh, playable, and uh, it's still kind of relatable, but yeah, it was, uh, I didn't like how, I mean, did they, as far as I'm aware, they didn't try to add anything new to it. Not um, really, I mean, it didn't really feel like if it was a Golden Axe game, I mean, sure, you had, like, some cameos from the other characters, I mean, especially when you meet up with um, the elf guy, and he just sees the girl, and he says, "By my balls, girl, I thought you were dead, and... It's like you have that, and then the guy. I don't think he really says too much at all. And you play as the female character, and it, it just it just looks like a generic um, fantasy game that wouldn't be a major standout, considering that you have a huge legacy like Golden Axe. Yeah, I think the other thing, the another, another series on it, which is very underrated, but I think it's very very big in the RPG community, is the Fantasy Star series from what i remember yeah that had a huge following back in the day and um so you gotta get a bit iffy about fantasy star if you post videos on it on youtube i don't know why that's one of the few games i can think of that they're like no no we don't want we don't want people to talk about it why not because we said so <laughs> yeah fantasy star was like the final fantasy for sega it had like um you know all the games were standalone it had a uh, cast of characters had an anime like look for the 16-bit era, had a really deep story, a very complex combat system. So yeah, Fantasy Star was like huge, and then when it reached over to Fantasy Star Online was when it reached over to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, the, uh, the the cartridge itself was crazy. It was one of the very, it was one of the six mega memories. Uh, car, con, you know, cartridge. oh yeah, because they yeah. used the side feature, and that's the reason why it needed it, didn't it? Yeah, on top of that, you needed uh, how big the game was. You needed a hundred and ten page hint book to get through it. <laughs> that game was insane. That game was insane back in the day. Yeah, it was. 
And uh, so I'm just looking through some of the other kind of like I want to say obscure games. Well, but, uh, uh, one of my favorite obs- one of my favorite obscure games that does have a bit of a following, but not that much considering that it is kind of like an action RPG was Landstalker: The Treasure of King Knoll. Oh yeah. Huh. I'm not saying I've heard of that one. Okay, so basically the game is um so you have uh so basically the game is about the main protagonist and he goes around and he's a he's a treasure hunter and he grabs this big uh treasure loot and then there's this little fairy by the name of Friday who follows him and letting him know that there's uh the treasure of King Knoll that is going to be discovered and there's a group of um, you know, kind of like evil bad guys trying to chase after her because she says that she knows where the location is, but she doesn't really know exactly. So she uh, convinces the protagonist, hey, um, you know, I don't know where it is, but I can kind of help you because I actually know the whereabouts of the land very well. And so he travels around and he goes over to various towns. He does various quests and um, basically trying to collect clues about the you know, the treasures of King Knoll and tries to, you know, see if they can find it right before the bad guys do. And it was kind of like an isometric um, action RPG because uh, you do have um, instances in which you, like, fight uh, monsters with your sword. Um, It's very... It's very hard to control because... Uh, basically, you only have four directions, left, right, up, down, but it's kind of like moving into, a, like, a grid. And, um, yeah, I do remember playing through that game. I think that was one of the games that I had on the Sega Genesis. Yeah. And another game which I thought that stood out for it, which was very, very popular back in the day, and um, I think that was the Shinobi games. Yeah. They were essentially their equivalent of the... Is it Gaiden or Gaiden? I can never remember it, It's which. Gaiden. Yeah, Ninja Gaiden. Gaiden. Yeah, and it was the equivalent of those sort of game, and I think the third one, which was called um, the Revenge of Shinobi. Yeah, yeah, so that's what it's called. Yeah, the Revenge. Yeah, that one had a very interesting history to it. Because when they brought that out, I kid you not, you had a boss fight with Batman, Spider Man, and Godzilla as well. So in later versions of that game, when they keep kept re-releasing it, they had to take these characters out, or they had to put a disclaimer at the very start of it saying. Um, copyright by Marvel, blah blah blah, sort of thing, you know. Mhm. Yeah, I did you know, hear about that. Why did Shinobi turn up in uh, um, uh, the the uh, the Infinity War movie? <laughs> yeah. How amazing would that be? Oh, that'd yeah. be funny. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, one game I'm looking at here, and uh, I've only like played the demo of this, but uh, do you remember Comic Zone? Yes, I've actually yeah. played through it. It's funny because. When I was, uh, a, a so, when Tom and I were associated with, uh, the PlayStation Let's Play channel, alongside with Tristan and Nick, I actually played through, like, like, one-third of Comic Zone, so I have played it before. Uh, Comic Zone is about a comic book artist by the name of Sketch Turner, who draws a comic book called Comic Zone. And so the main bad guy pops out into the comic one night when there's a thunderstorm, because of course it is. And he drags him into the comic, and the comic book protagonist and Sketch have to find a way to defeat the bad guy right before, you know, Sketch dies. And when Sketch dies, then the main, uh, the main antagonist uh, becomes flat. 
flesh and bone, and he gets to take over the world. So I have played through that, and it's a very unique game. Basically, you're in a comic book, and you go through panels. There's a lot of cool effects in which, like, the pages rip. It, it's a really awesome game that it doesn't get the credit that it deserves because it came out, like, around the time in which the Sega Genesis was ending its run. So it was kind of, like, put into the backside for a while, and it was, like, almost at the... Uh, it pretty much almost like bankrupted the company that made it. Yeah, yeah at least on PC as well. And uh, so, I mean, it was, uh, I think, um, you know, if you, you weren't really going to buy it for the, um, if you had a PC at the time, you were, this is the thing about uh, Sega Mega Drive as well, which was kind of kind of a flaw with it. If you had a P, you were more likely to have a PC at the time because, um, you know, PCs were relatively cheap. You know, at the time, and also on top of that, they weren't that graphically, you know, uh, you know, demanding at the time. So, you know, you could play games like Golden Axe and play games like Comic Zone on on your computer if you wanted to, and uh, you wouldn't have to buy like all of the console for it. So, uh, that was one thing that uh, I think because uh, I don't know why, because uh, Sega, I believe at the time, was also releasing stuff for the PC. You know, uh, releasing the games like not just on exclusively for the Mega Drive, but also re- releasing them like on the. Uh, you know, uh, PC, PC and, uh, you know, Amiga um, uh, computers as well, which, um, you know, I didn't think would make much sense to me, really, when you want to uh, uh, create something that... Uh, I guess that's you know, why they that when uh, the guys over at id, when they were just starting off, when they were creating the Super Mario Brothers 3 um, prototype to see if they can have it as PC, Nintendo pretty much said, nope! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, so, just, uh, looking through some of these other, I'd say there was another game I wanted to talk about, which I completely, oh yeah, uh, you know, we talked about Electronic Arts before, and uh, we said that they came up with the majority of, uh, the sports games, but there's one sports game which I always found very hilarious, and, uh, it isn't really that much sports, it's, uh, Road Rash 2. Yeah, Road Rash. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. But you punch people off motorcycles. <laughs> and you get chased by police officers, they're trying to hit you off your bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, did you did you know that they made a, a another game, uh, a spiritual successor called Road Rage last year? Oh, no, I didn't hear about that. Actually, yeah, good because apparently, according to various reviews, they said it sucked. Oh, well, of course it did. <laughs> I mean, a, f- a fun fact I know about the Sega Mega Drive as well is that um, for its processing powerful color bit and stuff like that. Um, I knew it wasn't as superior as the Super Nintendo was because Super Nintendo can use brighter lights, more color. But the one color that the um, Mega Drive that was really good at rendering is the color purple. Don't know why, but for some weird reason, it can render it very, very well. That's the reason why Comic Zone, when you play the start of it, the whole first sequence, like most of the colors in that game, is like mostly vibrant purples and stuff like that. The same with um, Toy Story game as well, a lot of the colour were vibrant purple, and it, it was one of these weird consoles that it had problems rendering tons and tons of colour, but purple was the one colour that they use a lot, that's the reason when you go back and watch these games, if you want any colours to stand out in the Mega Drive game, they use a mixture of blue and purples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, but going back to Toy Story, it was, uh, I don't know, like, uh, com- it was kind of bizarre for them to kind of release Toy Story on on Sega Mega Drive because uh, it was I don't know because you can see that the 3D um, aspects didn't really translate that very well to the uh, to the Mega Drive technology uh-huh. and uh, you know you, you compare that to you know you, you compare that to Donkey Kong Country that came out so I think roughly around about the same time I believe you know it was uh, you know Donkey Kong Country looks far more appealing to the eye than Toy Story did 
Yeah, I think that's because of the XF chip in the Super Nintendo that could translate 3D models into 2D graphics, and they've used it for a long time, even going to the um, N64 with um, a prime example was, um, if not mistaken, was uh, Mario Kart, off the top of my head. Um, but this, I mean, the Mega Drive just had a very towards the end of its lifespan it just had a wavering bunch of games that came out that a lot of people didn't play because um you had stuff like the um, saturn that came out you had the playstation so a lot of these games um that looked very very good on the um on the console a lot of people don't end up playing them because um they got new hardware come out and people said oh yeah that's the new console i want to get it it's the reason why when you look at games towards the end of their lifespan, um, towards the end of a console lifespan, it looks so good is because they master it so well and they know the limitations of it and how far they can push it and what corners they can cut in places compared to newer consoles that come out and then people get a headache over and say, I do have no idea how this works. Mm-hmm. And it's, unfortunately, it's, um, this is the problem that game consoles come up with again. So, like, you know, technology changes like every six months. Yeah. And so you, you're going to, uh, by the time they've mastered this technology, they have to go, back, you know, uh, start all over again and master a whole new technology. Well, I mean, the, 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 the one console that no company wanted to master was the uh, was the Wii U. <laughs> because they were, yeah, we're not, we're, we're not, we are not dealing with that headache of that stupid gamepad. We are not going to be dealing with that headache. Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, it was, uh, I, to me, it was like, it was just a, it was just a massive Nintendo DS. You know, when you look oh, at it. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, I mean, I just I just think the Genesis um, had a very good life. I just I think it had a very good lifespan. It had some really good deal. Um, There's two games. Um, I'm surprised I didn't mention this. I think it was like the third best-selling game on the console was um, Aladdin. Yes. Oh, that yeah. game was huge. And they had a lot of help from Disney to get that game made with the sprites and the character designs and everything like that. That game was insane. There's a great video online. I think it was from the creator of Monkey Island, I want to say. Um, he has his own company, which he's remastering like all these old point-and-click adventure games. He does a video series on them. Um, when he gets his old friends that are video game designers who either retired or still working in the industry, they come in and talk about the games they worked on back in the day. And one of them, they did talk about Aladdin and the Lion King video game and how they had a lot of help from Disney back in the day get these games made. And that's the reason why the Aladdin game looks so good on the, on the Mega Drive, unlike the Capcom version that was on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, well, I will agree that they had a lot of they look like they did a, a lot of good things. But there's just a, there's one little question I have about the Lion King. Why the hell did they hide that pink fucking rhino so well that you can't see the rest of the freaking game? <laughs> oh god, that second level was brutal. Um, fun, fun. Well, not fun for the people who were involved in this story, but apparently all the people they hired to do the Aladdin game. Um, it was done done by Virgin Media back in the day. It was it was a co joint venture from Virgin Media and Sega, mm-hmm. and all the people they had on the Virgin Media team that was working on the game for Aladdin, um, they hired some new people to do the Lion King game. And said, "Oh yeah, once they'd finished with the Aladdin game, we're going to send them over to you, and then they're going to help you make the game. And they all the stuff they learned about making that game, they're going to tell you guys how to do it, and they work with you to do it. And, and they thought, okay, cool." 
literally like I think it's like like literally like less than a month before they were meant to go over to help them, they fired every single one of them. No, I just it's that, that's typical virgin that. Yeah, basically they fired every single one of them, and the people was like, "Oh my god, we uh, what are we gonna do?" And he said, "Well, you got got a deadline, you got to meet it, so you're gonna have to meet it." And um, another fun fact about that Lion King game, that Lion King game has some cut content from the actual film as well because um, Disney had this whole sequence um, se- sequence with um, Simba growing up as an adult and. So what they did in the film, for those who never seen the film, they had this whole montage. Basically, you're seeing Simba as a little cub, and you see little snippets of him, like different stages of his age until he becomes a young adult. What they did in the actual film, there's about a good chunk of like 20 minutes of film, which you were going to see him growing up as an adult. That's the reason why they they cut it out. So they got in contact with Sega and Virgin Media saying, look, you need to cut this game of the content, this content out of the game for the Mega Drive game. They had to go back to them and tell them, no, we cannot cut it out. If you cut it out, you're cutting out nearly over half of our game. <laughs> yeah, one of the most infamous scenes yeah. was definitely like right before you fight off against Scar and Simba is like uh, running around towards like this hot molten lava like location and he's fighting off hyenas. Apparently that was supposed to be in the original movie, but instead yeah. the final product is, you know, you have that scene in which Simba's running off against the in the desert with the sand and then he finally gets to Pride Rock. Apparently that was supposed to be like a huge chunk of the movie in which he does go back into um, you know, Pride Rock, but there's this long journey with him over uh running the hyenas and then finally making it into Pride Rock and then that made it into the game. Yeah. And that would mean they they kept it in the game, but they cut it from the film, and um, they had to beg to let them keep it in the game back in the day, and then that sort of thing. Give them props. Um, I think Sega had a lot of pull in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Had a lot of pull. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another oh, game that uh, I do remember from. Uh, the Sega Genesis that is also another cult classic that's featured in so many of the, um, you know, Sega Genesis collectors bunches is uh, Vector Man. Oh God, the 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 character you play who made out a bunch of balls. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> I mean, if you if you take a look at the plot of Vector Man, it's essentially like a proto Wally. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I was say, Blue Sky Software had a quite a quite a sizable amount of games. I think I believe on uh, on uh, on the Sega Genesis. So they definitely left their best uh, thing. They they even made the Ren and Stimpy game. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Also, as well, fun fact about the uh, Mega Drive. Um, they had a Sega Mega modem, which you can link to up to the internet to go on their Sega Mega Drive services and download games off from back in the day. They sold these through Blockbuster videos. Yeah, this was, like, many years even before the concept of, like, Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network and even the Wii Shop was even popular. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were, like, building, like, consoles. So, I mean, so building cartridges with, like, you know, modem ports in them and the people were, like, taking a look at them, like, what the hell is this? Yeah, and, so, and it had, I mean, they had tons of games going through their system as well. Um, one of them is being Alien Soldier, I remember. Um, there was a certain port of Sonic and Knuckles and 
the less the the left the list goes on, and that's how. Um, there was also um you know Wily Wars for Mega Man. They remastered the that, they yeah. remastered the first three Mega Man games, and then they had Wily Wars in which you got to fight off against like three um robot masters that were never featured in any other Mega Man game since, and you had the option of playing uh, and customizing every single item and weapon from the first three Mega Man games. I know it's that's insane <laughs> yeah so it, it essentially you can just op yourself you can have the rolling cutter you can have metal man's metal blade you can have uh shadow man's uh shadow ninja st- throwing star you can have you can have the rush jet you can have the um, the magnet beam you can have everything into that game and that would be like amazing it's just a shame that most people who, um, you know, uh, haven't played it. I mean, it was exclusive, like, on the Sega channel, and it was, like, released in, like, Europe and Japan. But, yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, they've never played it before. Yeah. Uh, Blue Sky also made uh, Ariel's Little Mermaid. So uh, they also they also got a Disney game under their belt, so alongside uh, Virgin and... Uh... Yeah, Virgin did a lot of Disney games. Uh, another one they did was also the Jungle Book, which I also did a Let's Play of with the PlayStation Let's Play channel. I remember that. That was also a Mega Drive game. <laughs> yes, that was a Mega Drive game. Even uh, That was also one of the first games that I ever played as well for the Sega Genesis because uh, my cousin also had a hand-me-down of that. And uh, uh, speaking of a Sega CD game, um, one of the first that I had that I owned was the um, the Spider-Man versus Kingpin game. Okay. Yeah, I I remember remember that that uh, game was hard. Yeah, that game was really hard and really difficult. Basically, for those who don't know, it's essentially that Kingpin set up a bomb somewhere in New York City, and you only have twenty four hours to find it. And you play as Spider Man, and you have to like look all over the city for it. And it it's difficult. It's really hard because you have to do a lot of exploration. You have no idea where you're supposed to go. They have a map, but it's very vague, and you it's it's difficult, especially you, you die very easily in that game. Yeah. But the well, I think one of the funniest things that I did remember is that um, I looked back on the uh, the game via YouTube, and apparently I and I never got to this part. When you get a power up. The sound effect is like if you were like if you were a fairy granting a wish. It has like the sprinkling sound effect. It's like ding. It's like, pfft, are you kidding me? You're getting a power up, and this is the sound effect. It's so dumb. Yeah, there are some weird. On top of that as well, you got to keep in mind uh, the Sega the Sega Mega Drive was limited in what it could do sound wise. Because uh, have you seen? Uh, I mean, do you see the AVGN video where he compared the uh, the soundtrack to Doom on yeah. the Sega? Yes, I remember. Yeah, their sound card was terrible. Yeah, the difference was night and day. And uh, it's even amazing that we could even praise music, you know, on games, given that, you know, the the, the technology on it was so limited. Yeah. I mean, um, Sega CD, um, uh, the Sega Mega Drive, um, it has had a very influential history to it. Again, I know most recently they just released the Sega Genesis um, flashback um collection so pretty much they've done their own version of the mini super nintendo and um nes yes thing they just released it and it got like 85 games on it and 
oh my god the list of games on it are insane it's like it got like every game that you want to be on there plus more um games than you wouldn't expect to be on there because so they actually had to get some licensing deals um with some people like um they actually got in contact with Neville Realm Studios to have Normal Combat 2 and 3 onto the collection as well. Wow. And not the original yeah. Mortal Kombat, which pretty much just us basically made them infamous to, you know, one of the reasons why to pick up a Sega Genesis. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, but nonetheless, it's fine. But um, yeah, I, I remember, I think, that, I think that came out even before the NES Classic, right? Yes, it did. <laughs> Yes. And it's kind of hilarious because once the NES Classic came along, it, the Sega, you know, Mini Classic just pretty much just went into the wayside until they re released it, and then they added in more games, and they were like, "Hey, hey, we exist. Play us, play us." But yeah, yeah. I mean, there. I remember um, there's that. There was also the Atari uh, Flashback console in which they had a lot of their games. Uh, they even have one for, you know, be believe it or not, they even have one for the ColecoVision. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, we had a very popular console here in the UK back in the day. I've never really played it. This is more my... Like, uh, my fiancé's um, dad played it more. It was called the um, um, ZX Spectrum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, and they recently re-released it. Guru done a great video um, on, on the uh, failed bust of them trying to get it made. But they officially finally got it released and properly and stuff like that. And I've seen it sold in game shops and... This is the thing that makes me laugh so much about seeing this said X Spectrum. On top of the box, they actually printed on top of it, it said, official licensed product that is sponsored by the copyright holder of the said um, X Spectrum. Because they did release a version of the SX Spectrum, which went for a massive lawsuit problem and they couldn't get the rights for all the games. And then they all the games got discontinued from the console within like, was it within like a year or something like that? It was a complete nightmare. So they actually had to put on the box like, an official licensed product of ZX Spectrum. And I'm like, oh my God, that's terrible, but somewhat funny at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you um, know about the history of it. Yeah. Well, they would like to know, uh, actually, while, uh, while I'm talking about the ZX Spectrum, is that, uh, did you know that uh, Rick Dickinson, the guy who uh, designed the console, passed away recently? Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. I remember reading something about that. That actually made rounds in the UK paper, um, news scene because of how big that console was here in the UK. Yeah, yeah. and so I mean, uh, thoughts and thoughts and prayers to his family, and uh, you know, thank you for giving for giving us you know a wonderful console for us to uh, to to live with. So. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think that I mean, I mean again. Uh, Again, a lot of these old classic consoles, especially the Sega Mega Drive, um, all getting these re-releases now in like these mini versions of them. So if you plug them in TV and where you go, you've got a bunch of games to play. And um, I think with um, kids who are growing up now that don't really know, heard about people talking about these consoles and talking about these old school gaming things, I think that's probably the best way to go around now, actually playing some of these old school games. And I think it's wonderful to see that younger generations are now getting the chance to play games from our generation now, you know? Yeah. You tell you what, there's uh, I don't know if you ever came across this, but uh, did you know actually there was like third-party models of the Sega Genesis? 
Yes, there was. They, and also, again, that's what I mean. Sega are very, very laid back about this sort of stuff. And this one, why I'm quite surprised they pulled fan-made games off, off their off their off online and stuff like that but yeah I, I never understood that so i've got a very weird relationship with um people who want to make games for them or make fan version games or <laughs> other products within their name I think that, you know, despite a few other things, Sega is kind of still lax with, you know, letting the fans do what they um, want so they can be able to help spread out the knowledge of their games. I mean, especially with Sonic, you have, you know, um, Sonic uh, Mania, which was basically done by a bunch of fans who were doing Sonic ROM hack games. And then, of course, Sonic um, Forces in which, oh, uh, you get to create your own OC character. Look, I have a I have a hedgehog who is light blue and he has sneakers and a hat. Original character do not steal in an official Sonic the Hedgehog game. Yeah. Again, the um, the one the most famous example I can think of that a fan game that turned into original property was a. Um, Freedom Planet, off the top of my head, that originally was meant to be a Sonic game, but um, the original creator of it, basically, he said he was getting sick and tired of um, basing off something else and limitations of it, so he changed it in his own IP and recruited an artist from DeviantArt, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember her name, but she redesigned all the characters for it, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you want do you want me to tell you the uh, probably the I'm looking at it right now. There is a uh, a device which plays Sega Genesis games and Sega CD games, and uh, it is the weirdest thing I'm currently looking at right now. It is the Pioneer CLD A100, and not only does it play Sega Genesis games and Sega CD games, it plays CDs and laser discs. <laughs> what? That thing must be gigantic. It's yeah, it's a pretty in comparison to the controller. Yeah, it's a pretty big thing. Yeah, I would say probably I'd say probably rivals the Philips CDI. Yeah, I'm I'm going to sound extremely nerdy here, but um, I recently brought um, Sonic Mania vinyl edition not so long ago, (laughs) and and I was like, oh yeah, vinyl. That's not going to be a problem store. And then the the vinyl turned up the post, and I'm like, oh crap, this is going to be a problem store. I've got no idea where I'm going to put this thing. So I imagine having a, a video game console because the laser disc was the same size as vinyl discs ever. Am I not mistaken, right? Well, uh, I mean, uh, I wanted to buy uh, Doom. Uh, on, you get Doom on vinyl now. You know, Doom 2016. That's on, <laughs> that's, that's on vinyl at the moment, and uh, I really wanted to get that. And then I realised I don't have a record player. So yeah. I mean, vinyl is one of these things that always come in and out of fashion, and I think it's kind of ironic with all. I think all video games from like the 8 bit and 16 bit era always do come in and out of fashion weirdly and um, a lot of indie developers get um, get influenced by these really old games and um, we start and see that now with a lot of modern games that are taking influences from video games from this era of the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo because these people who are designing games now grew up during that era and played these games on these video game consoles and it really does translate to it when you look at it you're like wow okay yeah, I just think uh, I'm, this is the thing. I I, I always thought, think that uh, video gaming now. I, mean, I compare it also to uh, you know the animation industry as well. But the, the fact that you have uh, a generation of people who have grown up with probably you know like the best of the best, 
and uh, you know are inspired by uh, what's come before. I like that's why he's, you know, I always say that I have quite high hopes for uh, you know the future of um, you know animation and uh, you know video games and things like that because you know you're gen- you're dealing with a generation of people who you know grew up with this you know including us. Yeah, so, exactly. Like yeah. the the people who are creating shows now like Adventure Time and Steven Universe and Craig of the Creek and The Loud House, there were people who grew up with shows such as Ren and Stimpy and Animaniacs and, and a whole bunch of other shows. So imagine them being influenced with creating shows of today and then kids of the future who are watching shows that are going on right now will be able to create even better shows. I mean, the same thing could be said about games. I mean, you know, people who grew up with like uh, Super Mario World or Sonic the Hedgehog are able to create games like A Hat in Time or Freedom Planet. So it makes you really excited to know about, okay, what's going to happen next? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can I ask you guys, have you ever seen the Sega Nomad? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the D-pad right now, and it looks like he's... It looks, like he's, it looks very... Yeah, basically, it's the Sega Nomad was like, hey, let's do a combination of the Sega Genesis and Sega CD, except make it more expensive than if you were to buy the two of them separately. Brilliant! <laughs> Just the, yeah, like, I, I can imagine, like, you're holding the device and then, like, you know, the way that they've got the D-pad, like, you're supposed to put your thumb, like, right in the middle of it and kind of, like, move. You kind of, like, you're around. that's really going to wane on your, uh, on your knuckle, you know, eventually. You're going to want to put it down. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also, if you're playing something like, um, like with the Angry Video Game Nerd when he did that uh, video on X Men, and you know that's yeah that little that level in which you're playing the X Men Two game in which you actually have to push the reset button in order for you to go to the next level. And the Sega Nomad doesn't have a reset button, so if you turn it off, you have to turn it off with the on and off switch, and you have to basically do it all over again. Brilliant. Yeah, but I mean, the Sega Nomad, I guess it's either that or the Sega Game Gear. Well, if it it would be really obscure, you can look up the Sega Neptune. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. Uh, That's that's another bad, bad example of Sega with their marketing and decision making. There's other, there's other weird, uh, you know, Sega Genesis uh, consoles. So there's like there's the there's the one the Wonder Mega as well, which was from uh, it was a JVC model version of a, a combination of a Sega CD and a Genesis. So yeah, that that one is that one was really weird. It, it didn't even do very well, to be quite honest. So yeah, that was a another failed experiment. I mean, essentially they were just trying to stretch out the um, the Sega Genesis because of um, you know the huge competition with the Super Nintendo, and basically they were trying to do the add-on so they can give it more life. But I mean, yeah, I mean it is true that it did last it for nine years, which that's almost like double the length of an average console, which is about five. But the there's a reason why the Sony PlayStation 2 did much better. You see, number one, the Sony PlayStation 3 was it started off really horrible with making their prices, uh, you know, extremely expensive. And number two, it had a whole uh, variety of games that people can still play on. Um, and I guess and I, and you have to understand this was a different time in which everybody was talking about like, oh, which has the better graphics? That was like the big thing back then. Which looked the best? I guess it's like if a movie moviegoer goes, it's like, you know, which one would look better in 3D? I think that when we look back on, you know, games that are trying to be all gimmicky with like graphics and stuff, 
in the end, it doesn't really matter. It, the the gameplay and the controls and all that stuff is what makes it still uh, hold up. Yeah, I guess when you look at it that way, I guess you can see why uh, Sega pulled away from a Nintendo in quite a significant way because, uh, I mean, obviously they had a, a, a console with a, a better processor on than Nintendo did. And, uh, yeah, if, we, if we're going to go on the fact that, oh, who has the better graphics, and uh, if no one really cared and were caring more about the games, then, you know, you were probably going to look, look more on how the, uh, the the game was going to process and how fast the game was going to go. And therefore, you had, uh, you know, that's the reason why Sonic the Hedgehog could run the way that he could, and that's the reason why a lot of games on the Sega Genesis could uh, perform, could outperform, you know, games that you see on the on the Sega Super Nintendo. Yeah. So, if, you, if, you, if that was your... If that was your thing, you definitely were a Sega Mega Drive fan, and uh, you know if you didn't, you know, remind you, if you were looking for something a bit more pleasing to the eye and uh, looking for something a bit more wholesome, I think you probably were looking yeah. at Nintendo at the time. I mean, I think one of the other weirdest versions of the Sega Mega Drive I've ever seen, I've actually seen it at a um, at a video history of video game um, event here in the United Kingdom when they go around and they do this trade show sort of thing where they showed off all old video games from from back, back in the day and stuff like that. And I, I remember IBM, console um, PC company, uh, made their own version officially with Sega, with Mega Drive. It was like an IBM computer, but you can play your Sega Mega Drive games on it. Mm. I'm sure. CD drive over as well. Um, if you remember, you know, you know, a lot of Alan Sugar's old company, uh, he, they, they, they made the Amstrad uh, uh, Mega PC, and uh, that was also Mega Drive compatible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sega had a really good relationship with PC manufacturers. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind you? It wasn't just that. Everyone jumped in, didn't they? They wanted their devices to play Sega Mega Drive games. Yeah. Really. And Nintendo were very, very stingy about letting people have part of the pie. They said, no, no, we want to keep the whole pie. But no, 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 no. We want, we want, we want to make money with you. No, no, no. You can't have it, though. It's ours. <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder in the you know in in the future if uh, Sega you know if they because I think didn't Sega become quite you know uh, kind, of, kind of narrow in the, in themselves you know because uh, oh they have yeah you didn't really see after 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 Sega Saturn it was just the Sega Saturn you didn't see any other uh, you didn't see any like any other built-in features after that and you know definitely with the Dreamcast I mean you didn't see any other uh, Dreamcast you know, Dreamcast was a promising thing for them but. Because they did so many blunders before the Sega Dreamcast, it all just caught up in the in the end. They almost had to file for bankruptcy. And the the Dreamcast was a great console on paper. It just came out at the wrong time, the wrong circumstances, and it. And I think the biggest killer for it was that it didn't have a DVD drive. If it had a DVD drive, I guarantee you those that Sega Dreamcast would have lasted for a lot longer <laughs> than it did. Sadly. I actually still got um, a Sega Dreamcast upstairs, and I actually own a Sonic Adventure 2 beta disc. So it was like the original tech demo disc of like the first, the first level of City Escape. And Sonic, um, in the tech demo, he doesn't have his grind shoes yet at all, because that was only added in like a few months just before the game was released. That partnership with um, with the grind shoes. I say, I have a friend who owns a, a copy of uh, of Half Life Blue Shift. That was oh, uh, wow. supposed, to go, supposed to go on. To, you know, it was supposed to be developed for the Dreamcast, but then when the Dreamcast obviously ended, obviously uh, you know, Half Life Blue Shift never happened on Dreamcast. So uh, I mean, that that would have been a thing. So 
And uh, yeah, but yeah, here's the thing: like you know, you never would have foreseen any of that. You know, if you were looking from the premise of uh, the Sega Genesis was, you were like thinking, oh my God, you know, Sega is going to be going, going to be with us for the rest of our lives. You know, we're going to be bringing up our kids on Sega, our Sega consoles. Oh yeah. Yeah, you never thought that uh, it would uh, it would go the way that it did, and uh, so uh, you know, it just I think it just goes to show how you know dominant the console actually was at the time. That so yeah. it, it made you think that Sega is at this top of the mountain right now. They are winning. They, they're winning out wherever they can be in America, in uh, in Europe, in uh, even in the Far East at times. You know, it was just it was uh, it was it was it looked like an unbeatable company at that point, and. Yeah. Uh, you were expecting better things uh, going on decades down the line, and I think just over the years, um, it just they just made stupid snake after stupid mistakes after stupid mistakes, and um, they just couldn't be accepting of their their mistakes and what did they do wrong and what needed to be changed. And I think it was by the time they realised, okay, we need to change, we need to have a plan going forward, and Dreamcast was that plan. They were like, oh, God, it's too late. We made too many mistakes, and it's all caught up to us in back finances and debts and payments. Um, we're going to have to abandon ship here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Should have built all that, uh, you know, outsourcing of their technology for all it was worth. Yeah, it's <laughs> a sad truth yeah <laughs> but hey you never know maybe at some point in the future sega could make a comeback atari made a comeback recently with their new console i wouldn't be surprised if maybe sega would have something down to the line maybe that dreamcast 2 Woo! i don't know that's always been rumored the dreamcast 2 i i don't think it will ever happen now i think sega's too deep into the rabbit hole and just being a software development now and i think they will never go back to being hardware development again the closest we're ever going to get to it is those um <coughs> those um hd mini port systems now yeah that, that's and that's true i think I, i'll say we say this Tom. i think we're going to see the phantom before we see the sega we see, see the sega <laughs> yeah oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> bloody phantom <laughs> Anyway, uh, one thing I'd like to know, uh, I mean, uh, we uh, we owned the Sega, Ma- I think we should start this at the get-go, actually. We owned the Sega Genesis 2 before we owned, uh, you know, any other Sega Genesis console. And one thing you noticed that the first, you know, on the first design that they went with, they decided to put in a headphone jack. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I saw, saw that. I never understood that. Well, did you know anyone who used... Yeah, I was going to say, because uh, I, I, I saw people with, like, the first generation of, like, the Sega of the Sega Mega Drive, but uh, I never knew anybody who actually used the, heads, the, the headphone jack. The, um, the thing I always find funny with it was that the very, very first version, um, where the white strip is, um, where the red light is, underneath it, always, it would say high-definition graphics. And, and by today's standards, I just look at it and went, oh, my God, that's hilarious. Yeah. But back then it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mind you, I bet there's some. Uh, do you know now you can actually get modded chips for like uh, game consoles, which come with like HDMI ports in them. Oh, so yeah. If you, yeah, if you're a soldering expert, you can uh, you know you can solder the uh, the chip boards, and you can actually like uh, actually get it to produce uh, um, uh, you know HDMI uh, HDMI graphics. But uh, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously it'd be absolutely overkill, I believe, to uh, you know produce a, a HDMI you know, a circuit board for, uh, you know, Sega Genesis. I, I got myself a um, splitter um, for the red, white, um, blue, yellow um, cord things, um, the DVS cable, plug into a converter to a HDMI cable and plug into a TV, and that's how I can play my Dreamcast, and it runs perfectly fine. 
Yeah, and because uh, uh, I just noticed that now, I think I think somewhere down the line, they're going to be someone's going to be coming out and say, "Oh, hey, I managed to put a HDMI port in the back of my Sega Genesis." And it's like, for what reason? <laughs> they've already done that for Dreamcast. Um, there's this website, I can't remember the name of it, but you can actually, I think they're based here in the UK. You can actually ship them your Dreamcast, and they can mod it for you, so they can put like a switch on it to convert it to 170p HDMI output, and also have the correct modded chips so you can play um different type of games and yeah it's very very bizarre website but you can send it off this send it back to you and you just hit the switch on on the back of it there you go convert the hd perfectly crystal clear yeah but rounding off on the volume control on on the first genesis i mean like uh, it has like a so it has like a phone ja- like a, a headphone jack you plug into the front of it and then it has like a volume control actually on the console itself which, uh, yeah, I guess you could probably say is is reasonable because, you know, you can't, obviously, if it's too loud in the headphones, you have to, you know, turn it up and turn it down and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was just a very bizarre feature because, uh, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, put, having your headphones on while you got the, you know, where you got the TV on. It's, uh, it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, the, uh, remember the Konami laser scope that uh, was, yeah. uh, was for the net? And it had like a voice control module, so you could like voice control the game. And like one of the reasons why, one of the advertising features they put on the box that oh you can, uh, you know, while your kid's playing the you know your game, you can have like a conversation in the room or talk on the phone. And it's like yeah, while you're yelling like you know at the game, uh, like, so it kind of defeats the purpose of that when you think about it. But so. and it's, it's it's funny that they did that back in the day, and now they're advertising that as a feature in the newer Nintendo console like the switch and the wii u say oh if you want to watch tv you can just give the your kid a headphone headphones plug into the little shitty plastically um tablet thing and they can play away on the game while you're watching the football yeah it's just it's uh well before we talk about the nintendo switch on another time i think i've got, I've got plenty of opinions on that but, yeah so. yeah we'll, we'll definitely talk about that soon yeah, and then when uh, they move up to the uh, to the second model, like obviously they sort of headphone jack away, and uh, I mean, did they take any other features out of the uh, from just, the first one? I, I think they made it smaller. I think. I think they made it smaller, and they made the buttons on it a lot more clearer because a lot of them were just black and white, and they were not that labeled that well. So they they gave them bright red buttons with quite bold white text underneath them, basically saying this does this, press that to do that, <laughs> you oh. know. Because you, you could on the original first model, you had like a volume slider, you had a really tiny, small reset white button in the corner, you had a headphone jack, you, you know, all these weird features, and they were very unclear on how they actually worked. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel about the turbo buttons that were added later on? They were, they, they, I think they were a cool feature. They were ahead of their time, and um, surprise, surprise, in modern gaming, they were pretty much a standard now to have. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Uh, I mean, the only the reason I the only turbo button I kind of like used was like I think it was probably like the middle one for Streets of Rage, where you, like uh, where Axel does like you know a punch, you know, a back punch, for that. And it's like, uh, it was, mind you, that was pretty annoying though because my mate had like one of those turbo buttons, and so when we were playing Streets of Rage, like uh, you know, if you wanted to shake off someone in the back, you know, I'd just be grabbed from behind and get thrown and stuff like that. And all he had to do basically was just press the turbo button, and he just punch him in the back. Ah, so, yeah. Like, yeah, he had more of an advantage over me. And then there was the Sega Genesis 3, which was even, like, it was, like, half the size of the previous Genesis consoles, and there was no slot to put in, like, the, um, the Sega CD, if, or the, um, or even, like, big enough to put in the 32X, that is, if you even wanted one, which, no, but, yeah, it was much smaller, and the buttons were a lot more thinner, it was, like, kind of, like, flattened into the console itself. 
Yeah, uh, I, I think that uh, yeah, I think that they knew at that point. It's like you know, they brought out they brought out the Genesis three and said, "Don't you dare try and plug a CD or a thirty two X into this thing." Like, yeah, you know, leave alone. Enjoy the games that you have. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess final words on the Sega Genesis consoles. Um, yeah, it's it, there's a reason why out of all of the you know the consoles that Sega ever produced, this is definitely like the most famous one. I mean, second into you know the, the second one being um, the the Dreamcast, but uh, the Sega Genesis was like a huge contender back in the '90s with the Super Nintendo and about like which one was going to be the definitive one. Was it going to be the the old school Nintendo or is it going to be the true Genesis? Does what Nintendo don't so. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting videos on YouTube, and there's a lot of books about the history about this uh, competition. So, yeah, there's uh, a book about the 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 16-bit the wars. There's James Rolfe's video on the Sega Genesis versus the Super Nintendo. There's a ton of videos on that. Uh, there's, you know, the, obviously the Digino Gaming videos on the Sega Genesis where they go more in-depth about it. So, yeah, if you're interested in, you know, doing some more research on it, go check it out. And if you are interested in playing a Sega Genesis, then it's a lot easier now than ever. You can either get one of those compilation, um, you know, games for like either the uh, the PlayStation Four, Xbox One, or even on Steam. Then there's the the Sega Genesis Mini Classic where they have all eighty plus games in there. So yeah, it's more accessible than ever. I'll tell you what, guys. I'm just looking at all the uh, the the covers for like uh, the Sega Genesis anime games, and I have to say, I think I've just discovered the origins of fan service. <laughs> Wow, I can imagine. All right, well, um, Tom, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on by. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thank you for being much for bringing me on to talk about this uh, incredible console. So, uh, yeah, um, I guess we can start off with uh, plugs and self promotion. So, Tom, what do you got? Um, for me, you can always check out my video content on um, Index Sonic on YouTube. Currently, at the moment, the videos I'm uploading on that are called In Sonico. They are based on an old Sprite comic back from the early mid noughties. Um, it's a Sonic fan based parody comic that goes. The best way I can describe it imagine Sonic, but in the style of Seinfeld. <laughs> and um, it's basically Sonic as a sitcom. Um, I kind of at the moment I'm re-editing. I'm going through the comic, editing it down, and getting official, um, getting voice actors to get involved, do their lines on it, and just having a way all the time of it. Um, episode four is out at the moment. Episode five is coming in the work. I also am the creator slash writer for a comic book called Guardian. Um, if you want to read the comic, we're currently going over overhaul at the moment, so we haven't uploaded any pages in quite a while, but um, the first issue is almost done, and once the first issue is done, we are going to try to get the comic up on Webtoons, uh, when you can read the first issue for free, and we do have a partnership coming up as well with Publisher, I'm not going to mention who, because that's all in the works still. And if you do want to follow that comic on Facebook, just look up Guardian Comic Book. All right. Well, great. And Aaron, I guess there's no introductions about where we can find you at since you've, I mean, we, 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 do, we do PixMix, we do the Aaron Meta Show, but go ahead and plug your stuff anyway. 
If you want to check out the Aaron Metz Show, it's facebook.com forward slash Aaron Metz Show. That's A-R-U-N-M-E-H-T-A-S-H-O-W. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Aaron Metz Show. Uh, AaronMetz.tumblr.com. And also I'm on Instagram as well over at Aaron Metz Show. So plenty of ways to find me and plenty of ways to listen. Uh, I'm on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Directory, uh, all places where you can find podcasts. And I'm also on YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash Aaron Metz Show. Uh, yeah, and uh, that should be it for this episode, guys. Uh, let us know in the comments below about what your earliest memories of the Sega Genesis is. Uh, what was your favorite, uh, what were your favorite games? What were your favorite moments? And d- did Sega do what Nintendo didn't? So, thank you for so much for listening, everybody. Hope to see you around soon and take care. Bye.